as you sit down this morning, our foundational scripture is going to be found in the book of Numbers. There is more in Numbers than just calculations of the children of Israel. Numbers chapter 14 is in the beginning of the Bible, just after the book of Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. So go to the book of Numbers. We're going to have to move fast here, so I need your full attention. We're, we're running short on time, so I'm going to need you to walk this thing out with me pretty quickly. Genesis, uh, excuse me, Numbers chapter 14. The one point that I want you to realize this morning is that God created you to lead the way. I've told you time and time again, if you read the Bible, you will see that God took a young boy by the name of Josiah and put him on the throne as king of Judah at the age of Eight, very good. Eight years old. What were you doing at eight years old? Still playing with toys, Barbies, figurines, whatever it may be. Some of you are still doing that, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I played with them for very long. But God took somebody and put them on the throne at eight years old. Once you get to Numbers chapter 14, please go with me to verse 19. Now, before you get there, look up at me. I want to set the foundation for you. Where we're about to pick up is the children of Israel have been led by the hand of God out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. It's called the Exodus. They went through the Red Sea when it was parted. Who knows the story? Raise your hand nice and high if you know the story. This is, this is important. Okay, now the children of Israel are in the wilderness. Who has heard that before? The children of Israel are in the wilderness, and they're learning to trust in God. And as they learn to trust in God, some of them have been grumbling. Who's heard about that before? God is not well pleased with their grumbling because it's not just what's coming out of their mouth. It's what's in their heart. They really are not trusting God. So God has said that he's about to wipe them all out. Follow me now. God said he's going to wipe them all out and start just with Moses. We're going to pick up where Moses now pleads with the Lord in verse 19. Pardon the iniquity of this people, O Lord, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. He's talking to Moses. So what God is saying is, Moses, because you have pleaded for this people, I will forgive them. But... Here's the consequence. Verse 21. But truly as I live, says the Lord of hosts, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice. 23. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But... My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. God has promised that the children of Israel, he will take them out of slavery in Egypt. They will cross over the Jordan and go to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Who's heard of that before? Okay, that's important to realize None of the original children of Israel brought out of the bondage of Egypt were now allowed to enter the promised land. And the reason is because they did not believe that God would bring them there. Uh, Abra uh, Moses sent out 12 spies. How many heard this? He sent out 12 spies, one from each tribe, and said, go and spy out this land of Canaan, this promised land, and find out if we're really able to take it. Of all the 12, how many come back and say, we're able to take it? Who comes back? 
How many come back? Two. They were Joshua and Caleb. You know, that is so important for you to remember because what we're talking about this morning is God has called you to lead the way. God has called you to lead the way. And I want you to know this morning that every great leader has at some point or another stood alone. I want you to know that if you read the beginning of Numbers chapter 14, when Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, listen, guys, we can go in and possess the land. God is with us. All the people rise up and want to stone Joshua and Caleb because they don't believe that God will deliver them. What's the point of this story, Mr. Kurt? The point of this story is that God has called you to lead. See, last week we laid the foundation and said, God made you special. He made you and broke the mold. And the reason why is because you have gifts and you have talents that he wants to use for his glory. He wants you to be a shining light for him no matter where you go and no matter what you do. He doesn't want you to just follow the path of somebody else. He wants you to lead the way. And what's important to understand is sometimes many of us are just going with the crowd. Many of us are just going with the flow. And God is calling us to stand up and step out. I want you to see only two people get to inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. Out of all the millions, listen to me now. If you've ever heard Pastor John talk, there were millions of these Israelites. And out of that, two got to enter and bring forth their children in the land of promise. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because when the going got tough, they chose to stand. We're living in a time right now where the world is pressuring you, just like you saw in that commercial, to be part of the group. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowing a little bit more about football. If you don't, you should. No, I'm just kidding. But you're not just cool because you know about football or basketball. That is not what makes you cool. And in fact, is the purpose of your life and my life to be cool? Man, we got to sacrifice that on the altar and the cross right away. Because if the purpose of our life is to be cool, we will never get to where God wants us to get. And the point is proven by the children of Israel right here. They never got into the land of promise. Their children went in because they weren't obedient enough to God. And I want you to know that every great leader has at some point or another had to stand alone. I want you to take inventory of your heart this morning and say, where are you? Ask yourself that question. In your school, are you just going with the flow? Are you just going with the crowd? Or are you like the salmon swimming upstream, going against the grain? Let me tell you a little bit about salmon. I did some research about salmon. How many of you know that salmon, when they, after they have left where they're born, they go out and they wander for a little while, but they have this sense inside of them, they always go back to their place of birth to, to, uh, to reproduce. Did you guys know that? And that's why they have to swim upstream because after they're born and they grow for a little while, they follow the stream down and, you know, wander wherever they may. But there's this, there's this sense inside of them that God put inside of them that where they, where they hatched and where they born is a safe place to bring forth new salmon. So they go upstream and go back. Let me tell you something about salmon. As they go against the grain, as they go up the stream, you know, it's not very easy. You have, they have a lot of opposing forces. The first natural opposing force would be obviously what? The current. The current is go they're going against the current. That makes it difficult, doesn't it? If you're walking down the street, like the Matrix, how many of you seen the Matrix? When Neo is being trained, he's walking the opposite way from everyone else, right? And what is Morpheus trying to get him to do? Very good, focus. He's trying to get him to focus. 
And in these salmon, as they're swimming up the stream, the first opposing force they have is the current. Do you know the other opposing force that they have? The giant bears all along the waterfall waiting there. I should show you one of these videos. You can just YouTube it. But, but I, I'll, maybe next week I'll show you. But it's so obvious. The bears are lined up. Like a whole family of bears showed up to eat some salmon in the morning. And they're right there. And they catch some. And they catch some. And they catch some. But do you know that I forget what the statistic was. I think I'll have to look it up and get back to you. But for every one that gets caught, I think it's almost like hundreds, if not thousands, that make it over. I, I just read it this week, but I'm going to look it up again. Here's the point. As a leader, you have to swim against the current. And as you're swimming against the current, and as you're going against the grain, everyone's going this way, you're going that way, your enemy is out there, and he will look to destroy you. He's the bear. But God is with you, and God is for you. And that's exactly what Joshua and Caleb said. I know that the enemy is out there in the land of Canaan. I know that they're big. I know that they're giants. But God is with us. We will go and possess the land. And if you know your Bible, you know that God brought Joshua and the children of Israel around that place. Seven times they marched. The walls came tumbling down. They destroyed the entire land. Who knows that story? Joshua refused to back down. Joshua led the way. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what inabilities you think you have. I don't care if you've been labeled. Maybe you have some type of, you know, uh, issue that people say you can't do anything because you got this, ADD, ADHD. You got all these different labels on you. God wants you to know today that you are a leader at heart because he molded you and he crafted you and you need to realize and see yourself for who God made you to be because he needs you and wants you to go against the grain and lead the way. And you know what? Here's the tough part about it. All great leaders at some point or another have to stand alone. And the question that God is asking you this morning is, are you willing? Are you willing to stand alone? If you, we're going to take a look at three different lives. I wanted to do a case study on them and walk through the Bible. We can't do that this morning. The first two come from the Bible. The first one who I want to tell you about is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of living, the living God. All these people followed Jesus when he did great and mighty miracles. In that last hour while Jesus was being betrayed, betrayed, as you read it in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all accounts say that at that hour when everyone showed up, all of his disciples abandoned him. All of his disciples abandoned him. Every great leader will be forced at some point to stand alone. Another individual you can read about in the book of 2 Timothy and read his whole life is Paul. Paul was abandoned at that last hour. If you go and read 2 Timothy um, chapter 4, you're going to find out that everyone who was with Paul at some point or another has now forsaken him, and Paul is left standing alone. Now, this, is, this can almost be a discouraging message, can it? God's going to throw you out there to the wolves and let you stand alone. No, 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 no. God, if you read about Jesus, he made it all the way through that trial and test, and he won the greatest victory of all eternity. If you read about Paul, he said, I've run the race, I've finished the course, and now there is laid up in store for me a crown of life, which the Lord himself will give to me. Listen, you might feel like you're standing alone. You might feel like all your friends who were Christians have now forsaken the, the, the faith, have now abandoned the faith, but you know what? You have to stand because God is using you in this hour. 
God's not going to use the people who are constantly going with the flow. Another great man I want to tell you about, told you about last week, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a four-minute video I want to share with you on this individual. By far, the greatest civil rights leader, not of his time, but period. Why was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. the greatest civil rights leader? Because he swam against the grain. Martin Luther King Jr. believed not only the words of our United States Constitution, but he believed the words of the Bible that all men were created in the image of God. And because of that, although it wasn't popular at the time, Martin Luther King Jr., it wasn't just that he had this great march. Man, all those people showed up after heartache for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., being jailed a number of times, having his house firebombed. He had to stand alone for what was right for you and for I. What Martin Luther King Jr., what Paul stood for, what Jesus stood for, is what God is asking us to stand for in this hour. Leaders don't stand because everyone else does. Leaders stand, leaders stand because it's right. Let's go ahead and play that video, Christine. Martin Luther King Jr. was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1929. Faith was always an important part of daily life as both his father and grandfather were Baptist ministers. He thrived at a segregated high school, graduating at 15, before heading off to Morehouse College. He then dedicated three years to theological study at Crozier Seminary in Pennsylvania. While earning his graduate degree at Boston University, he met Coretta Scott, who he would marry and have four children with. King and his family settled in Montgomery, Alabama, when he became the 20th pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. When Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to relinquish her seat to a white man on a Montgomery City bus in 1955, the incident lit a fire under the burgeoning civil rights movement. His boycott um, of the bus system in Montgomery, Alabama was tremendously, tremendously successful because he was incredibly strategic and he worked with other people to get the individuals in Montgomery, Alabama to understand that they weren't going to take it anymore. King's experience, passion for the cause, and position in the community gave him the credentials to become a leader in the 381-day boycott of the city buses. On December 20, 1956, the Supreme Court ruled segregated buses to be unconstitutional. This was a major victory for the civil rights cause and proved King's nonviolent methods of protest could yield results. King was now the national face of the civil rights cause. He was jailed over 20 times, was once stabbed in the chest, his house was bombed, and he suffered relentless personal attacks on himself and his family. For a man of peaceful intentions, he unfortunately spent much of his life the target of violent intent. Yet the threats never stopped him. Dr. King inspired thousands of people through his eloquence, and through his fearlessness, especially after his home was firebombed with his wife and his children. They showed through their courage that they were prepared to give their lives to the cause of freedom. King worked tirelessly to promote the cause he so strongly believed in. 
And from 1957 through 1968, he traveled over 6 million miles, delivered 2,500 speeches, wrote five books and dozens of articles. His hard work and ability to communicate earned him such respect that he earned the ear of President John F. Kennedy, who personally met with King. Of all the speeches King delivered, none has stood the test of time like his famous I Have a Dream speech, symbolically delivered from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 in front of 250,000 people, both black and white. King had become such a force in America that he was named Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1963. A nice achievement indeed, but it paled in comparison when in 1964, he became the youngest man ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Martin Luther King Jr. was an American. He was deeply American. And what's striking to me is that he had more confidence and faith in American democracy, in the Constitution, and in the principles of fairness and opportunity than nearly all of his critics. While in Memphis to lead a protest march defending the rights of striking garbage workers in April of 1968, King delivered a rousing speech titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. It would be his last standing on the balcony of his second floor room at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, King was shot and killed. In 1983, Ronald Reagan signed a proclamation declaring the third Monday of every January Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a public holiday to celebrate the man and what he stood for. Now it's important to understand one of the things I just one of the lines that really stands out from that four-minute video the threats never stopped him and listen I want to tell you something that just like Joshua and Caleb who were almost stoned there are going to be threats and there are going to be hard times and maybe God hasn't called you to do something to the magnitude of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But you know what? Whatever he's called you to is just as equally and great important, as equally important as what God called Martin Luther King Jr. to do. And you know, watching a story like this and hearing about this through school challenges us. And the reason we learn these stories is so that we can discover the leader that we were meant to be. He was a pastor. He was a pastor before he ever started out in this civil rights movement. And it's so important for you to understand that as a pastor, he had to study out the Word of God. He even went to seminary school. So Martin Luther King Jr. must have known the struggles of Paul, must have known the struggles of Jesus. And I want you to know that if you're looking to find your identity, you don't need to turn to anyone. You don't need to turn to this leader or that leader. You need to turn to the Word of God. You need to discover who you are based on what God says about you. God wants you to be a leader in your home right now. You might be the only one that knows Jesus. God wants you to lead. God wants you to be a leader among your family right now. God wants you to be a leader in your school system. God wants you to be a leader on your block. And I can't tell you exactly what that means for every single one of you. Only God can. He knows the gifts and the talents that he has given you. And you need to seek God and his plan for your life so that you can be the leader that God has called you to be. It's just a real short way of saying stand. Even if you're standing alone, Stand for what is right. There's a famous quote. It's credited to Edmund Burke. This will be my last thought for you this morning. I don't really know who Edmund Burke was. 
He, the, uh, not the Bible. Uh, history says that he was a prolific writer. I don't know what that means. I don't know who he was. doesn't matter to me. Uh, this, this quote is credited to him, and the quote says, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. How many of you have heard that before? And I want you to know that the world understands what it means to lead. The reason we have abortion in our nation today is because a few people decided they knew what it meant to lead, and they're going to let their voice be heard. The reason that we're having issues of same-sex marriage and unions in our nation right now is because a few people decided they have the right to be heard. My question for you this morning is, why is the world speaking louder than us? Why is the world speaking louder than those who have the truth? Why did they have a sense of strength and victory, and we just kind of sit around and do nothing? I'm not talking about going off and starting fights. If you looked at Martin Luther King Jr., he believed in a peaceful approach. God wants you to have a peaceful approach, to love your neighbor as yourself, but to stand for what is right. And that means you have to listen to the Spirit when you encounter situations, because only he knows what you should do in the situation that you're in. But God has called us to stand. Nonetheless, no matter where we stand, whether it's in the public sector or in private, God has called us to stand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning that has gone forth. And I thank you for every individual in this room right now. Lord, you've called us all to lead in different areas, in different capacities. And I just thank you right now, Father, that the word that's gone forth would be written on every heart here, that every one of us, myself included, this word has convicted my heart and it's challenged me. Lord, I pray right now that you would just move on every heart here. You would strengthen, teach, empower, and encourage right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, where these young people have an opportunity to stand, help them stand. Where they have an opportunity to speak, help them speak. Father, would you, excuse me, give us wisdom for every situation. Lord, would you help us love our neighbor as ourself? And would you help us to honor you in all that we say and do? We ask these things in Jesus' name.